Well, I have to say, tonight we're going to do one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. And I say that without any exaggeration whatsoever. This man that's going to join us tonight is a dear friend. Uh, he is the one who introduced me into the online world as far as uh, communicating truth about prophecy. And it was a great privilege to sit down with him. And so you at home, I think you could stand up and give an ovation for the founder of EducatingOurWorld.com, the host of Breaking News, Monday through Friday on HisChannel.com at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Please welcome my good friend, Don Stewart. All right. Thank you, I Barry. Yeah, you guys. okay. I can hear you out Thank there. you, guys. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you at home. <laughs> Don, I saw some guys. I went to the pharmacy today, and there were two young guys talking to each other. And as they were getting ready to part ways, I noticed that they had created a new version of the handshake and it was an air elbow so oh really okay uh, we'll, we'll exchange those okay. tonight so all right sounds Don, good all right good. good great to see you good to be here thanks for having me nice to see yeah. everybody out there in uh what cyberspace cyberland <laughs> cyberspace cyberland yeah we got to get yeah i guess cyberspace is the best term for it cyberland but you know i've spoken here enough and you do it every week I'm imagining the faces. I see her all the time. So I'm, yes. I'm seeing this person over there. Now you're supposed to be sitting here, you know, but it's like, yeah, it, you know, so we're just, the, the bodies gather together. They're here. Yeah. They're just, yeah, we are. just, we're following Hebrews, but we're just kind of doing it a little differently. So I have seen uh, different pictures on social media of uh, some have put puppets in the seats, other yeah. pictures yeah. of people from the congregation. <laughs> and uh, I don't think uh, yeah. until you've done it, you don't realize what a, a different thing it is to speak to an empty room, right? Uh, especially when you're used to such an alive congregation like we have here. Yeah, but you're and, used uh, to doing like his channel, Barry. I'm speaking to a camera, so that helps yeah. you because you're you've got advantage over other uh, different uh, pastors who've never done anything like that. Yeah, it's different. But it's no different. It is, it is different. Well, speaking of that, I remember the first time uh, when you had uh, handed the baton to World News Briefing over to me. Yes. And the first time I ever had to do the program by myself, it was one of the most difficult things <laughs> uh, to just talk to yep. a, a lens. And uh, But hey, bless the Lord, his word's going out. We're thankful for this medium. And uh, Don, uh, we're gonna answer some questions that have come in over the past few days. Sure. And uh, one of them came to me personally via a Facebook Messenger. And I thought we'd start with this. And, and I wanna make one comment and then kind of throw the ball to you. And the question was, um, I have a friend who's a pastor who doesn't believe anything happening has anything to do with Bible prophecy. And uh, so what do I say to him was the question that was uh, delivered to me. And Don, uh, my comment is this, I was thinking today, I don't know that there has ever been a time in history where the whole world is looking for someone to come up with an answer. And the whole world is not hyperbole, that's fact. The whole world wants somebody to step up and say, Here's what we're going to do next. Here's how we're going to handle this crisis. Here's how we're going to get through this, or here's how we're going to get out of this. So the world really, I think, is being tuned up and primed for somebody to rise to power and solve all their problems. And uh, I think that's probably one of the main things um, concerning this recent season that we're in. It's just prepping the world for somebody to rise up and say, here's what we're going to do. Follow me. Yeah, and not only that, Barry, what we also see today is the world getting set up for being told what to do all the time, right? Okay, now we know where we can drive when we can't drive, um, what's essential business, what's not. Um, these sorts of things that are happening right now are unprecedented here. Not only, like you said, not only in our country, but around the world. I've been talking uh, to people on Facebook. I've just gone back on after about a nine-year hiatus from around the world, and it's just not here. 
everybody's looking for an answer. Everybody's in the same boat, Barry. They're all thinking, what's going on here? And this is perfect because the world is looking for a leader that will lead them, you know, into the promised land, as it were, bring them all together in this globalist world. They thought Barack Obama was the person. He wasn't. Obviously, Donald Trump isn't to them because he's a populist. He, you know, he, making America great. But there's somebody come on the scene because of this. In fact, one of the interesting things that happened, March 26th, Gordon Brown, the former prime minister of the UK, uh, leftist failed prime minister, said, what we need is a group of people who can make decisions for the entire world. An organization, a, a, and I said a group, didn't say how many, but a, who can tell the world what to do, you know, have medical people on this, so we're all coordinated together. That's what we need. Well, well we know that's what the, the world's gonna get, right? And so it's setting the stage for that, for sure. And there is a group that's willing to do that, Don. Oh, yes. And uh, interestingly, many of them uh, have billionaire attached to their names. So Indeed. Uh, we're seeing this, uh, this maneuvering, so to speak, of things into position. And one of the things I think that's curious, Don, and maybe you can comment on this as well, is we're seeing things that uh, were kind of thrown into the bucket of the conspiracy theorists uh, for many, many years. And now it's not such a conspiracy after all, it's become reality. And now we're hearing a lot of talk about digital identities, digital currency. And, you know, we've, we've all gone through the different things that uh, have been the interpretations of what's going to happen in Revelation 13 with the mark of the beast. What exactly is that? Is it an RFID chip or, you know, is there a global currency? And, you know, I think we've all had to kind of adjust our thinking in a lot of these things as different things come down the pike. But now here we've got basically a demand via proof that you've been vaccinated for a digital identity, an implant device of some kind or something on the surface of the skin, a biometric tattoo or something along those lines. And uh, so this is pushing that, at least pushing the agenda forward, pushing the technology into an acceptable realm where people are going to say, you know what, this makes sense, we've got to have it. Yeah, in fact, what they're doing right now, I did a story today in France, they told basically Google and they told also Apple to forget the, the all the amendment rights, the freedom that you have. We want to be able to know who has COVID-19 and where they're at. So we want to be able to know exactly where that all time. So the privacy is just out the window, you know, any type of privacy. Now, of course, what they say, Barry, well, this is going to come back, obviously, after all this is over. But, you know, here's the thing. When people get used to in power, being able to know where a certain person is there, who's doing what, who's doing that, it's setting the stage for exactly what we're, we're talking about. The, uh, the, the idea of handling money is problematic because money can carry all sorts of right. negative uh, things. And so uh, the digital currency is coming in. In fact, Tim Cook, the present CEO of Apple, said the next generation of kids won't even know what currency is because it's all, uh, you know, bills, because it's all going to be digital. So that's coming. And uh, there's so many other things that are taking place right now that we always were wondering how they're going to happen. Well, they're happening right now in front of our eyes, and the, the world that will be after COVID-19 is going to be quite a bit dif different in many ways than the world before. Well, Don, isn't the escalation of things, uh, much like Jesus talked about in the um, uh, kind of the, the preamble, as I call it, to the uh, Olivet Discourse, an escalation would be expected, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we think that things are going to all of a sudden move forward exponentially in, in manners that, that the history hasn't shown itself to be a pattern? Uh, up until the last of the last days? Yeah, uh, Jan Markell said it this way. It's kind of like it's it's in the shade of uh, the book of Revelation. It's kind of coming, like coming attractions, as it were. So what we're seeing right now are the stage being set for all these things that are going to take place. 
where, like I said, many things, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about a number of them tonight, we were wondering, how is all this going to happen? And now after watching what's taken place, just the last, it's hard to believe, only like two months or so, we know exactly how it's going to happen because we see it happening. I did a, a story the other day by a man named Jack Englehart. He's a uh, world best-selling author. He's an Israeli guy. And he says, you want it, socialism? Now you got it. How's it working out for you? Yeah. And I think all of us are sick of it after about, what, about two weeks, three weeks of that? Yeah. But this is the world that people wanted. This is not a fun world we're in right now. Empty shelves and no jobs. And that's exactly. basically the, yeah. where socialism takes you. Yeah, so. yeah. And the government telling you, you've got to do this, you can't do this, you can't go here, you can't open up here, you're essential, you're not essential. I mean, Barry, you and I well know the people that are watching right now, the business to the, it's their business is essential to them, and they should That's be right. able to do it, and hopefully sooner rather than later we'll get back and, and do it again, get yeah. going. <clears throat> One of the interesting things I've seen with this whole thing, Don, is that they keep moving the line. Yep. And, you know, when it's, oh, we have to do this right now, and then... You know, we've had these models presented to us. You know, the uh, infection rate is, you know, astronomical, and therefore the death rate is going to be parallel to that. And uh, we're going to see these incredible numbers of deaths here in the United States. You know, the numbers started at 5 million, went down to 240,000, then down to 100,000, and down, down, I think, to 56,000. And now we've got reports coming out that uh, from legitimate research groups that are saying when the sun comes out, you know, COVID-19 can't survive in the sun or the coronavirus can't survive in the sun. So now what we're hearing is a constant flow of next year, next year, next year, next year. It's going to be back. And, you know, looking historically at the Spanish flu and, uh, you know, even H1N1 or the swine flu of 2009, it did span two flu seasons. So there's no question that this, you know, will uh, visit us again. But it, it's, it's, I think, a necessity for them not just to control the narrative, but those in places of power who want to see this global empire come to fruition, uh, they have to keep that fear factor up. And that's what seems to be driving all of the, the media today. Yeah, and they seem to have amnesia with what they've said in the past. We try and hold them to it. One of the things I did March 19th, the governor of our state, Governor Newsom, made the prediction that by May 20th, and we're you know about three and a half weeks away from that, there'll be 56% of Californians that will have COVID-19. That's about 25 and a half million people on right. one estimate, 25 and a half. Well, the latest tally today was about 39,000. So we've got a bit way to go, don't we, yeah. in that? So it seems like the models have been totally off, totally ridiculous from 2.2 million to 240,000 to 200,000, 100,000 to 80,000. Now it's down to 60,000 in the U.S. The U.K., you know, they're going to have 500,000 deaths. And the guys go, oops, no, it's only 20,000. Um, and yet the scare factor, this fear factor, like you said today, the head of the CDC, which is not, not a friend of any of ours, just like the head of the WHO was basically said, well, there is a, another uh, flu season coming in the fall again, you know, and so we're going to see it again, like, well, what, are we going to hide the whole time? And as you know, and as people out there know, we're all suffering. We're all suffering because there's businesses we can't attend to, they can't attend to us, and this is not how this country is supposed to be run, particularly now when we come to find out the number of deaths are nowhere near its predicted, number one. Number two, the virus has been here a lot longer than what they originally said. That's kind of the headline that we did today, and we'll develop that more tomorrow. It's probably came as early as November, December. I believe in November, but December now they're admitting they have to because they found a person in Northern California who died February 6th of C4, uh, C19. Well, if he died February 6th, he had to get it before that, and he didn't, never left the United States of America. So what does that tell us? It's been here for a long time. 
first case reported anyway was January 21st. So, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I think there's been a lot of good solid research evidence has been presented to that, Don, that, uh, you know, because of the influx of people from China to California in particular, exactly. to LAX in particular, that that's why we're seeing, you know, in the most populous state in the country, to my knowledge, I don't think we've even reached a thousand deaths here in California as of yet. A little bit more than that, but hardly, it, hardly above a thousand. Than yeah. just in the last few days. Just in the last few days, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and the infection rate here, also Orange County, uh, you know, we're seeing minimal cases. I think the city I live in, uh, 55,000 people, I think there's 15 cases. So, you know, but one common thing I hear everybody talking about is, man, I was sick back in November. Yes. I was sicker than I've ever been in December. So it very well could have visited us here in advance and kind of made its way. And, and we've got the antibodies and, and yep. to a degree, maybe uh, herd immunity has developed here in California. And that keeps getting thrown out there as well. And that's a very real possibility. Yeah, well, there were two stories that just came out, one from Northern California, one from Southern California. Stanford University did one in Northern California, 3,300 people. And they found out the rate in Santa Clara County, the rate of people that had the C-19 was anywhere from 55 to 85% above what they thought it was, of what was now known the coronavirus. Same thing too in LA, LA County. In other words, instead of having X number, it was 50 times greater. Now, if you take that across the state, that means it's already been here. That's why a lot of people aren't dying from it. I had something in February, the second week of February, that really knocked me over. I haven't missed a speaking engagement in 15 years, and I had to miss one on a Sunday morning. I was minding my own business on a Saturday afternoon. All of a sudden, I told my wife, something's going really wrong. You know, and that night, I was feverish, this and that. I was wiped out for a couple of days. But I got over it, but it took a little while and a low-grade fever for a week or two. I thought, man, what was that? And I never in my wildest dreams thought it was COVID-19, but then I looked back and I had all the symptoms, you know, shortness of breath, fever, and the such like. But um, that was it. And my wife didn't get basically anything from it. And so it seems to have come and passed here. Now, if that's continuing to be proven to be true, why in the world aren't we letting people out and getting business back to normal? Because something else is going on, Barry, and you know that. We've, we've talked about the powers that be don't want to see things go back to normal, do they? They want to have that iron grip, that globalistic idea, and that's what this world is leading to. And Don, interesting you brought up the Stanford research. They actually ran three tests, uh, one in their own county, um, Santa Clara County. Right. They ran one in baseball cities, 27 different cities around the country, and they ran another test, uh, cross-section of Los Angeles, uh, people from all categories of life and ethnic backgrounds, just to get a good overview of, of the infection rate and all that. And the interesting thing that I found of late is that now here you've got, you know, Stanford is on the level of Johns Hopkins and the yes. Mayo Clinic, and now people are criticizing uh, Stanford yeah. because they're not <laughs> going with the flow, so to speak, of what's being presented. And I think the most interesting part about this research, and I think uh, the, the head of the research department was uh, uh, Avon uh, Ben-David, and uh, he was running this particular project, and there's others who worked under him, and I've read and watched some of their reports, and the interesting thing about this that, that has been kind of the whole factor throughout this whole thing, at least in my mind, is that we have one constant and we have one variable. The constant is the fatality rate. That's a hard number, even though they've inflated those numbers, yep. we've heard those reports, but it's still a hard number. If somebody died of a car accident and they had COVID-19, or at least had the coronavirus, you know, they, the, the microbes, they could at least identify that person had it. But that's something that can be uh, basically charted. 
Now, with these infection rates that they're talking about now, with them being far higher, as much as you said, 85% higher than they expected, that drives the fatality rate down. And the Stanford report says that, that COVID-19 has the same fatality rate as the annual flu bug. So this is problematic for those who are wanting to you know, pitch this uh, into a panic and fervor to drive uh, forward their globalist agenda. So, but that's what they're doing. That's what, now let me ask you a question here. So what, what are they going to do after all this is over? We come to find out the death rates may be 0.1%, 0.2%. That's it throughout the whole United States. Um, and just like the normal flu season, we did all this for nothing. You think anybody's going to uh, report that? Or you think we're just, oh, well, let's just move on. What's going to happen? You know, I, <laughs> I think about that a lot. And I think about it, especially here in California, because we have the low numbers that we have. I think somebody who happens to sit in the governor's mansion is going to say, see what I did. Exactly. Take and, credit. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going yeah. to see when this thing doesn't shake out. Overinflate the numbers, you know, implement all these things that bring about their agenda. Don, I think, and, and I, I believe that you would agree with this, in part, the agenda is to do away with Trump. Oh, totally. I, it's completely to do away with President Trump. They don't want to hear good news. You've got the governor of Georgia now who wants to open things up on Friday, and the people are going nuts. The media, the, the different politicians, the people in Georgia, not the people. The people want to get back to work, but the, uh, even a lot of the leftist newspapers and that. Because here's the problem, Barry. If they put people back to work there and it, it starts to work and people aren't, you know, the hospitals aren't being filled, then it'll work other places too. And they don't want to open up other places. Look what's going on in Michigan. Look, look at you know, some of these other states, Illinois, places like that, Washington State. If they're up to them, they would wait 18 months before they opened up and, and with bread lines. And so uh, Bernie Sanders will get his wish. You know, we have the bread lines there and you'll have just, you know, not a recession, but a depression there. But that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, it was interesting when it first came out, there was one of the New York Times writers called it the Trump virus. Now, can you believe that? Uh, when he shut down people coming, yeah, you can, but people coming in from China shut the airlines uh, coming in. And so it, it's, that's, that's a huge part of it. And we'll see what happens, see if the American people buy into that. We just have to wait and find out. Yeah, I read a, uh, a research project that just came out of Texas last month. And interestingly, someone had put together a, a pretty in-depth and significant study on, on the Spanish flu from 1918 to 1920. And interesting, there's a month that is called the deadliest month. And it's October of 1918. And 6,290 people died every day during the month of mm. October from the Spanish flu uh, during that season. And the research that they found was some of the same steps were being taken. You see pictures from people in 1918 and 19 uh, wearing masks, right. uh, but they're out on the streets or walking around. And one of the things I thought was interesting about all this, and that's why I think some of the actions that have been taken are a bit concerning, is that this report showed that there were different areas where they left the schools open, different areas where they shut the schools down, and this, the areas in, in the holiday seasons where people in urban areas in particular were sheltered in place and locked in their homes, the infection rate was far higher yes. than it was the people that were out and about moving around taking, they, they were doing social distancing back in 1918 to 20. So, you know, getting outside of the house, you're not, you know, in this environment to where basically if one person gets it, everybody's gonna get it. So, yeah. you know, you have to question some of the, the, the wisdom and, uh, you know, in some of these uh, things that have been implemented, uh, basically being the opposite of what science and logic would tell you to do, 
And uh, so there has to be some type of political attachment to it. Well, yeah, I think we need to remind the people out there, too, because the press doesn't seem to. Why in the world did they shut all the businesses down? Why now shelter in place? Because the hospitals couldn't contain the overwhelming number of people that are going to come in, and they would be, the, the doctors and nurses would be you know, inundated by this, which never happened. Never happened at all. But, and so to draw it out, they talk about flattening the curve, draw it out. Well, sooner or later, everybody's going to get it anyway, or at least have it go by them. Um, and many of, all, many of us already have or seemingly have. But uh, the question would be, well, why, why, why don't we let people back in? Because if the whole idea of shutting things down was to uh, keep the hospitals from overflowing, when the hospitals are not overflowing, why are we continuing to do this? And again, what we know and what people don't know, and I know you explain, I explain it too on our programs, is that we have 50 states here. And the, the governor of each state makes, literally makes the call, don't they? And so governor over here says open now, governor over here says don't. This is, this is something that's necessary. This is something that's not necessary in six states. Marijuana dispensers are absolutely essential businesses. Abortion clinics are. Uh, going to church doesn't seem to be. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be real interesting to see how it all, you know, fan uh, continues to, you know, develop here. But again, most people get, don't realize, Barry, that was the whole reason for us sheltering in place, because the hospitals, right, the doctors, and they haven't been overwhelmed, not at all. Now, one of the Navy's hospital shifts that was docked off the bay in New York, yep. an article came out just a couple days ago that in the whole time it was there, I think it was there for almost a month, yep. had a whole, a total during that whole time of 179 patients. Yeah. And it, it bedded 1,000 people. So just, again, you know, what, yeah, it, what's the motive? Yeah, well, exactly. The Javits Center opened up for that, Central Park, and did they have the tremendous amount of people come? No. And again, remember, over half of the cases, over half in the United States of America of the, of the people who've gotten C-19, have been hospitalized, and the death is in the New York, greater New York area, New York right. and New Jersey right there. Over half the deaths and over half the people. The rest of the country, it's, it's again, the, the number would be a little, about 25,000 in the rest of the entire country, apart from those, that one metro area. Yeah, I was reading a statistic today, Don, that in the, you know, we have the most number of infections in the United States, the most number of deaths uh, in the world, according to those who are right. reporting on these statistics, Johns Hopkins and others. But interestingly, as far as the world rank in deaths per 100,000 people, we're number 37. Way down. Way down the list. So as far as the death rate in our country, you know, there are many, many countries, sm much smaller countries who have a high, much higher a fatality rate in their country. So yeah, you have to kind of you have to question everything these days. Yeah, and so but the question is why does anybody bring this up? Why is why aren't we getting back to people's lives? Their dreams are being destroyed, Barry. Their livelihoods are, you know, their their life savings are. The businesses may or may not ever come back. And it's literally worldwide, like I said, talking to people on Facebook from the Philippines. Uh, in other places, it's just it's happening everywhere. They don't know what to do. They're out of money. They they can't earn it. They can't go to work. Mm -hmm. They're willing to work, and they're told they're not essential right now, or they need to shelter in place. And we're just seeing a, a whole different world. But we're seeing a world that's the harbinger of what of what's going to happen right in the future. The control by the powers that be. It's like this is a coming attraction of how terrible it's going to be later. So you ain't seen nothing yet, right? Compared to what we're going to see. Oh, it's it's going to be unprecedented, unparalleled in the course of history, even in the midst of the huge pandemics we've seen here in the tribulation period, we're going to have one point in time under the four horsemen of the apocalypse where a quarter of the world's population dies. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, just 
the, the components about this that, that normalize irrational things and, and cause us to look to things that we've never looked to before, to shut down things we've always hoped in and clung to. It just everything has changed so rapidly, Don, it's just amazing. Yeah, it really is. And interesting, Revelation 6, 8, which talks about that, mentions in that context there, they will be killed by such things as pestilence will be that and wild right. beasts. So pestilence will be something in the future. This is not the fulfillment of Revelation 6, 8. This is not the fulfillment no. of anything <laughs> in the Bible specifically. I'm sorry. Uh, what's going to happen in the future is going to be unprecedented. The only pestilences we see in the Bible were localized in Israel. It was a judgment of God. This is not a judgment of God. This is the sin, the evilness of the Chinese Communist Party there that runs China, the, the leadership there. That's the reason we're having this worldwide um, pandemic, not because of you know any God's judgment like we like Israel experienced. This is sin and evil personified and just exponentially right now. Yeah, Don, I'm glad you said that because we hear a lot of talk about this is because of this, this is because we did that. You know, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14 is being thrown out there and uh, we ought to always look at that. We have to always be uh, humbling ourselves and praying and seeking the Lord's face and turning from our, our wicked ways. But, you know, I hear a lot of this is because of abortion, this is because of, you know, this particular thing or that. And, you know, judgment is coming. Of course. But we're thankful that uh, we don't have an appointment with wrath. No. Nope. Uh, but we're going to escape all the things that are coming upon uh, the whole world, the time of uh, tribulation. And, Don, our first question that came in this week uh, <clears throat> is related to all the things we've been talking about. And the question is about the battle in heavenly places. Is this part of, you know, the wars against principalities and powers and uh, hosts of wickedness and all those other things and the... I, I don't know, but I assume that there's uh, an, an implied have anything to do with the birth of war breaking out in heaven and all that in this. And um, does that have anything to do with the birth bang progression that Jesus uh, presented in the opening statements of the Olivet Discourse? Yeah, I, here's the thing, and I go back to what I just said. Uh, this pandemic worldwide is the fault of one group, the communist Chinese Chinese Communist Party in China. Not the Chinese people, but the leadership there, Xi Jinping and these people have purposely foisted this on the world. It just shows the evilness you know, of this regime. Their desire, once they realized their people were getting it, to, to spread it to other people. So there's really, that's the basic explanation. Here's the thing I'm concerned, Barry. When you go beyond that and try and figure out, you know, what's going on in the, in the unseen realm, that's above my pay grade. I, you know, God obviously knew what's going to happen. Obviously, it's, it's going to change a lot of things. But the reason for this was not God, like when he sent a plague here or did this there. This is just evil going on and purposely doing this. Purposely, they, what they did, knowing that there was this terrible epidemic in China, they allowed and encouraged their own people when they couldn't travel within China to travel overseas and go to various countries and spread it literally around the world, knowing it was a person to person, you know, would be contact, would be spreading it, doing something like that, and then trying to claim now, rewrite history that, well, you know, it was Americans did it or something like that. It's just pure evil there. And all it shows me just how, you know, as we get close to the time, the end evil will abound, we're seeing that. But beyond that, I, I always want to be real careful in trying to attribute something because whenever we had, you know, like 9-11 happened was because of sin going on here or when Hurricane Katrina, this New Orleans, some big debauched place or, you know, uh, again, this, these, we live in a fallen world. These things happen, but it just shows evil will, you know, it will, you know, 
continue on. And as we get to the timing, it'll get worse and worse. But I think this is what it has done is set the stage for so many things that we were expecting to see, but now we're beginning to see. So in that sense, uh, you know, the Lord has used this evil deed of the Chinese Communist Party to, to set the stage for events that are going to take place fairly soon, I believe. Yeah, and Don, I think it's uh, worthwhile to mention really what a pandemic is. A pandemic just talks about the infection rate. It has nothing Correct. to do with the fatality rate. Nope. They're calling this a pandemic because it has spread around the world, and that's what a pandemic is. Yep. You can have a pandemic with zero fatality rate if there yep. is such a thing, yep. but technically that's possible. So, yeah, if, but it's a big word. It's a scary word, and uh, sends people into a concern and panic, and, and boy, is it being used and overused uh, in that sense in order to create anxiety and hype. That's one of the most incredible things, I think, about this whole thing is that when the CDC first put out a group of at-risk people in any given country, the first thing that they listed that put you in an at-risk category was hypertension, mm. stress. So here they are stressing the world out <laughs> and telling everybody to stay home and uh, just creating that, that physical uh, autoimmune deficiency uh, system to, to break down and all these other things and making people almost more vulnerable by some of the things uh, that they're doing. Uh, this next question, we have a series of questions, Don, and I want to cover them all sure. because it came from uh, a, a teenage girl up in Idaho. She wow. Says, I have a lot of questions. So I want you to handle this first one, and, and uh, I know you've got a book on the subject that at least it covers it. Um, but her question is, where did Jesus go when he died? Did he go to heaven? Did he go to hell? What did he do when he got there? <laughs> when Jesus died, he went immediately into the presence of the Father, and he was there. Uh, he took, remember the criminal that died next to him on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 to 4 tells us paradise is the third heaven of the presence of God the Father. So they went immediately to the presence of the Father. On the third day, uh, his body, you know, the body that was dead in the, in the tomb, uh, the spirit returned to that in a, in, in a different, in, you know, his, it was a continuity there, but it was a different form in the sense it was, a, uh, there, it was like our glorified body is going to be. It had similar properties and different properties than our body has right now. So Jesus went in the presence of the Father. That's what he told the criminal on the cross. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, paradise ain't in the grave three days and ain't in hell. It's in the presence of the living God. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5, 8 is not possible. Correct. Yeah. When we are absent from the body, we are present, present with the Lord. With the at Lord. home with the Lord. Exactly. And her next question is, will God create, and this is a debated question, will God create a new earth after the tribulation or after the millennium? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, well, we're going to have a new heaven, a new universe at the end of the millennium. I think the best, and I wrote a book on that one too, I think the best answer to that, it'll be different. It'll have Eden-like conditions. There will still be sin, but it'll very much be tamped down. In other words, Adam and Eve initially didn't last very long, probably half a day maybe at, at most before they sinned. There'll still be sin, but it'll be very, very minimal compared to... Uh, you know, what we see right now, there won't be the rampant rebellion against God. And so the conditions will change, but they won't be absolute perfection. The best we can tell, the earth will be revitalized some way, but the best we can tell, there'll be a new heaven and earth, which is a figure of speech, meaning there'll be a new universe. Uh, once everything is done, the millennium, we believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ, which we do here. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it will be changed to a large degree, but not, you know, it's, be kind of, it's an in-between state, you know, in-between what we're living here, and then it's kind of on the doorstep of eternity, still on this old earth, but things still somewhat the same, but a lot different. But then when the Lord, at the end of that thousand-year reign, then all things are going to change forever. 
Our next question, and I want to throw an answer out to this, or speculation, if you will, then have you comment. Sure. And she wants to know, and I've heard this a lot, and I know you have too, what's the purpose of the millennium? And in just looking at the grand scheme of things, in the course of human history, uh, in the uh, antediluvian period, the pre-Noah time period, God let man do his own thing. There were no rules, no restriction, no law, nothing. Wound up being eight righteous on the earth, God wiped everybody out. He gave man a law, gave them a series of things that would keep them in uh, a covenant relationship with him and uh, you know, gave them, do this, do this, this is the best life to live, this is what's pleasing to me, here's a series of things I want you to do and practices. And these were, you know, of course, the feast and all that pointing to Jesus. So God gave man a law and one came from heaven, the God man fulfilled that law, they put him on a cross and murdered him. Then we come to the age, the church age, where God didn't give us an outward set of boundaries, but gave us an inward presence of himself. And so we have this time period now called the church age. And yet at the end of the church age, we know that there's going to be perilous times, of people lovers of themselves, haters of God. And uh, there'll be a time when men won't endure sound doctrine. And so what's gonna happen? God's gonna move his church out of the way. Then the tribulation happens. And then you've got this thousand year reign of Christ on earth. And I think just personally, I think the answer really to that question is that God let man do what he wanted. God told man what to do. God enabled man to do what God wanted him to do. And then Jesus himself came and ruled this planet like it should have run the whole time. And at the end of that, Satan is released for a short time and man goes with Satan, rebels against God and the end of all things comes to pass. So I think in my mind to answer the question, what's the purpose of the millennium? I think it's, it's to show that it doesn't matter what God does. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and exceedingly wicked. And maybe you can comment. No, and I agree. Uh, it's going to fulfill the promises that God made to Israel, for one thing. You know, that they were promised that kingdom, Isaiah 2, 1 to 4, where there'll be a new temple in Jerusalem. The nations will come up there, offer sacrifices to the Lord. But you're right. What it basically is going to show that it's not hereditary, it's not environment, it's the evil heart of human beings. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is wicked above all things, mm -hmm. desperately wicked. Who could know it? So what it's going to show when they've had the living God rule there, all the conditions are wonderful. Sinful human beings will continue to rebel against and particularly at the end, there'll be a rebellion there and the Lord will wipe it out once and for all, showing that no matter what environment we have, what it is, our hearts are still evil. We find a way of sinning, and that's what's going to happen at the end of that period. So it's going to show it once for all. God will be uh, obviously vindicated for why he's done what he's done. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, your answer was perfect on that. And one more from our friend up in Idaho. Good for her. Uh, she says, since Jesus will be reigning during the millennium, what are we going to be doing with him? All right. What we're going to be doing is, I like what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, we'll be like spiritual enforcers. We'll be um, somehow helping out with the rule and reigning. We're, we're told in the eternal realm we're going to actually judge angels, 1 Corinthians 6. That means we're going to have a rulership over angels. There seems to be some type of, you know, earthly rule that we'll be in charge of. It's not all really largely explained to us, but we will be there and some type of enforcement capability. I don't know if we'll wear badges or anything like that, but the bottom line is we will be there uh, amongst the people. And again, if you think about it, Barry, you've got the Lord Jesus ruling. You've got the believers in the living God from all time mingling with them, of showing how great it can be if you just turn your heart and life over to Christ. 
And still, at the time of the end there, people will still turn their back on. That, to me, is amazing. But after knowing human nature and my own nature, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. And Don, will we be in a glorified state during that time? Sure will. We're going to have a body like unto the resurrected Christ when the timing happens of the rapture of the church. Well, two things are going to happen. The dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. As we're being caught up, we will be changed. And so what happens at this particular time, everybody receives that body, a body likened to his, a glorified body, a permanent body, an eternal body. So yeah, we'll be around in those type of bodies as compared to the people living just in sinful bodies like you and I and the people in the audience right here have it. We can see you now. <laughs> Thanks. And the people out there too, obviously, in, yeah. in uh, digital land. And Don, uh, this is a kind of a lengthy question, and I, I've got a little... Uh, a snippet from an article that I want to read as uh, the first part of our answer. And the question is, a valid question, how do we know things such as earthquakes are becoming more intense because we only have a small picture of the intensity of things, especially reporting and technology, being so much better than it was in the past? Maybe events are just more clearly reported. And the question says, I want it to be time for Jesus to come. I just want to know for sure that the birth pains are increasing. And I used this article a few weeks ago and uh, did a message here on Sunday called, Are We There Yet? And just basically took a look at the, an overview of the science happening uh, around us today. And this is actually uh, a, a report from the Geological Society of America from back in 2014, dated October 21st. The article says, or the report says, the last 10 years have been a remarkable time for great earthquakes. Since December 2004, there have been no less than 18 quakes of a magnitude eight or greater a rate of more than twice that seen from 1900 all the way up to 2004. It's a 104 year span. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost. Massive damage has resulted from these earthquakes, but as devastating as such events can be, these recent quakes have come with a silver lining that coincide with unprecedented advances in technological and scientific capacity for learning from them. So that kind of acknowledges what the question is uh, packaged in. And yeah, we have better ways to track these things. But Don, I think it's important because recognizing that Jesus incorporated that uh, beginning of sorrows or that birth pangs phrase, labor pains phrase in his presentation of these normal course of life events that happen. There's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always been ethnic tensions. There's always been famines. There's always been pestilence. There's always been seismic events, uh, geological and both uh, uh, cosmological events that have taken place in the course of history. But I think it's important for us to remember that during a pregnancy, the whole pregnancy isn't labor. You know, there may have been things that were happening all along, but then all of a sudden things are going to change. And so we don't have to have uh, 5,000 years of history, even though we can look back and see cataclysmic events of a geological nature, volcanic eruptions and earthquakes in the past by the evidence left behind. But what we can track is Really, I think the marker for me is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. We can see an exponential increase in all of these things since that time. Well, it's interesting you say that uh, because Jesus said, unless he returns, there wouldn't be any flesh saved, but because of the elect will. What, what's interesting about that, I never thought of it that way, but if that, there is this increase of earthquakes, could it be there'd be a time when the earth itself would explode, just like Jorel is telling the leaders of Krypton, you know, if we don't get out of here, the whole yeah. planet's gonna explode, no one believed him. I wonder if that's where, you know, literally, I mean, I've, you made me wonder out loud because if they keep increasing, would come to the place, the cataclysm, where the world itself would be destroyed 
because of the fallen nature. I don't know. I've never thought of it that way before. It's an interesting thought. But the point is Jesus will intervene. That's the great news. And he won't let the world destroy itself. To me, I always thought uh, when he talks about wars and rumors of war and this and that, it's the weapons that humans have created that could destroy everything. We know they're there right now here. And sooner mm -hmm. or later, you know, there'll be some, somebody or some group that could use it. Or, you know, even like what we're seeing now, used as a weapon uh, to the degree the, the virus there can use it as a, a terrible weapon, literally. So, um, yeah, it's, in other words, um, we, we've got a shelf life here, is the point of this planet, right? Yeah. And um, we don't know what it is, the Lord does. And because of the fallen nature of the planet, whether it would blow up internally or whether, you know, whatever would happen, the Lord needs to come back. And uh, that's why you've got the martyrs in Revelation saying, how long, O Lord? And we were saying this before all this happened, Barry, or how many times have you and I said this to the congregation here, with all this going on, how long, O oh Lord? And then, I don't know if you did a, 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 I remember doing the New Year's Eve message and telling the crowd, when we sit here a year from now, we won't believe the things that happened in 2020. I had no idea I was, I, yeah. this was going to happen, obviously. But we're going to live in a totally, totally different world, in a world that may indeed, you know, um, be on, on the verge of destroying itself before the Lord comes back. But the book of Revelation, as we know, this is not humans do it. This is the judgment of God. This is the wrath of God on the world. He won't let it, you know, explode. He won't let it be destroyed. That's the great news, the message that we have to give to people. The world's not going to die from COVID-19. The world isn't going to be destroyed. The earthquakes aren't going to blow it up. Uh, the Lord's going to intervene. And that's the great message we have. And Don, one of the other things that uh, when you and I were doing World Briefing together that we were watching develop was the coalition forces being drawn into the northern border of Israel under the guise of fighting against ISIS. Right. So you had the Persians placed there. You know, obviously you've got the Russian presence there. You've got Turkey and all these other nations. And there's some debate amongst who, you know, is represented by the names that are listed there in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But the next question is, where's Russia when Israel is under attack? I mean, are they within that uh, scenario? And is it in the tribulation? Okay, yeah, it's a great question. Well, in Ezekiel 38, 39, we're told the leader is the prince or the leader of Rosh, which is modern-day Russia. Rosh is Russia in the Bible. Not because it sounds like Russia. We always have to give that disclaimer because it is the country the furthest north, not only in Babylon where Ezekiel was prophesying from, but also in Israel. And they will be in the leader of Rosh. He would, a person is called Gog. He will lead this coalition there in the last days against Israel. So Russia which is really interesting, which I always like to bring up. It's the only nation that talks to everybody in the Middle East. The U.S. doesn't talk to Iran, doesn't talk to some of the nations. Russia deals with everybody. In fact, uh, Netanyahu says, my good friend Vladimir Putin, the same Putin who talks to uh, you know, Assad in Syria, who talks to uh, you know, the, the uh, leader there, Erdogan in Turkey. Uh, he talks to the different people, the different leaders, the Saudis. And he's not talking real nice to them recently, the Saudis, but he's dealing with that. And even he's dealing with the present little rocket man down, who, you know, I don't want to say God rest his soul yet, but uh, who's down there in the, in the Korean Peninsula. So Putin is the guy who's the good, I mean, who's the good guy. And one thing that I'm interested in, I've got a, I've got a question, not along this line, but um, I think Putin's going to become more the good guy and kind of keeping Iran and Israel separated in the future, too. So they're going to look to him like, well, he's, he's the good guy. He's the sheriff, this and that. So he's warming himself into a situation. He's going to be president for life, or at least to 2036, as they're redoing the Constitution. So he's going to be everybody's friend, and it's going to be the last thing they expect when an invasion happens of Israel with the Russian soldiers that have been keeping the peace there on a northern border. I mean, Barry, like we've talked about, you can't make this stuff up. How are you going to get Russian? 
Russian soldiers, you know, coming to Israel without everybody knowing about it. You know, with satellite technology, if someone moves their elbow, you see what they do. Uh, this is talking about a mass group of people coming over the border. We don't wonder now, because you, you were telling the people on the last trip to Israel, what did you see from the northern border of Israel? Uh, as you're looking into, uh, you know, uh, Syria and Lebanon, what were there? Russian soldiers, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, interesting what you just said, Don, because one, if we think about what's been happening there on the northern border of Israel, there in Syria, Russia is allowing a Iranian presence, an Iranian military presence, but at the same time, they're allowing Israeli fighters to go in and bomb them. Yes. So basically, they're playing both sides of the coin. Totally. And, um, you know, we do know that there is an end game to this. And, Don, let me ask you, I mean, you know how I think about this. I think I've said it uh, many times as far as the placement of the Ezekiel invasion. And uh, the last part of the question is, is it during the tribulation or just prior to, or wh where do you see it being placed? To me, the best answer is it's just prior to the final seven-year period, the seventh week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, the last seven years. And the reason I say that is because in chapter 39, when it's all over, we're told, Barry, that the people realize God is working on the side of Israel again because he basically saves them, right? So whenever it happens, God is doing something unique with Israel um, as his chosen people there where it seems to indicate that the church, the believers of both Jews and Gentiles aren't around because he's gonna work with them uh, mainly during that period of time. So that's why I place it uh, you know, somewhere uh, right at the beginning maybe of this final seven year period. I think it's got the less problems. And one of the books I've written on Ezekiel 38, 39, uh, we deal with like, well, when I taught the class on Monday night here mm -hmm. for a couple of years at Calvary Tustin, yeah. we went through like 14 different answers. And if it was all simple, we'd all have the same answer, right? And so they're good people that hold all of them, but I seem to think that's the, that has the less number of problems. I'm sure you're pretty close to agreement on that, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my position is always, I think it's early tribulation just because it's a wrath of God response. Yeah. You know, so it, uh, it, it could be that the thing breaks out, the invasion occurs, rapture happens, and then God begins to respond on behalf of Israel. That's fine so, here. But yeah. it's, it's definitely <laughs> yeah. uh, somewhere in close proximity Agreed. to the whole thing, uh, either beginning or having just started. Uh, Don, uh, another question. I, I think this is a great question. And I think it's a great question for uh, several reasons, one of which this is something we ought to be concerned about. And the question is, what's the world going to be like for the unbeliever after the rapture occurs? Uh. Uh, it's someplace nobody wants to be, literally, and literally talking about that. I was talking to Jen Markell the other day about that, and we were talking, and she said, uh, it breaks our heart to think of these people we're talking to, our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones who don't want to hear the message of Jesus, mm -hmm. what they are going through. It's literally, I, I don't know, I think the best word to me, Barry, is unimaginable, although it's going to be true. The judgments that are coming, when you read the judgments of Revelation 6 through 18, before the coming of the Lord in Revelation 19, uh, it's like, how in the world would anybody want to be living here at that time? But what we also read, too, even though the people know it's the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, they still blaspheme. They still won't believe. And so it's just a terrible time to be around. That's the bad news. The good news is nobody has to be there. You can trust Christ tonight if you haven't believed in him as your savior, which you will escape that time of trouble that's coming on the earth. Because, you know, it's unprecedented time. Like Jesus said, never a time like this before, never a time afterwards. We've had some horrible times in this world, Barry, but nothing like what's coming. I think what Jan said is 
where we all ought to take this, yeah. to think about what people are going to be encountering, yeah. the massive loss of life. Yeah. You know, as we mentioned, under the Four Horsemen there in Revelation 6, you've got a quarter of the Earth's population. Yeah. We've got another event that takes a third of the Earth's population. Yeah. You've got the sun scorching men's bodies, uh, people gnawing their tongues because of the pain of an intense cold. And yeah. I mean, it's just a time you wouldn't wish on anyone. No. So it ought to be, I like to encourage people, you know what, if you've told somebody about Jesus a thousand times, tell them a thousand and one. Because we shouldn't want anyone to go through this. And it yeah. ought to be, this ought to be a motivating factor for the church because yeah. we have the information about what's exactly going to be happening during that time. Mm -hmm. And Don, uh, along those lines, uh, another question, they didn't give the address, but I'll just insert it. They're asking, why is First Thessalonians 5.9 used to support the position of the pre-tribulation rapture? Why is the absence of the church being involved in God's wrath where we make our argument? Uh, very simple because for, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 uh, says the, the people are waiting for uh, to, the Lord to come from heaven to basically deliver them, save us from the wrath to come. And he's talking about the wrath that's coming on the earth, not the wrath afterwards. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, God did not appointed us to wrath, but deliverance through Jesus Christ. Where you read chapter 4, explains what the deliverance is, the rapture of the church. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. So basically you have this. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, probably the first book written chronologically in New Testament, uh, some uh, 20 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, Paul told the people, we're looking for the Lord from heaven who will deliver us from the coming wrath. In 4, 13 to 18, he explains how the world will be delivered, the catching away of the church, the deliverance there. And then in 5, 9, he punctuates it by saying, God hasn't appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through Christ. So it's not the wrath that comes after this life. It's the wrath of God coming on an unbelieving world, which is more than overdue right now for each and every one of us on this planet. Fortunately, by God's grace, we're not going to have to experience it. Yeah, and Don, I think with those who make the argument for a, a mid-trib or pre-wrath position, you know, in looking at, at how this whole thing's going to play out, we know that uh, the hinderer has to be taken out of the way for yeah. the lawless one to be revealed. And if we're really going to look at that, you know, God is allowing the Antichrist to rise to power. He's going to deceive the whole world, demand worship exclusively of him, and he's going to put to death anyone who refuses to take his mark or the number of his name. And so allowing him to rise to power is, in a sense, the consequential wrath of God. Correct. So really the whole seven-year period is God's wrath. It may not be the great tribulation or the last three and a half years where God is judging the nations who attacked uh, and assaulted Israel and uh, punishing the Christ-rejecting world, but it's still the whole time frame. It's still wrath. So in order for us to be delivered from the wrath that is to come, we have to be delivered from the whole seven-year period. Yeah, it, someone put it this way. It's great tribulation and greater tribulation, but it's still, like you said, this is the wrath of God allowing it to happen. You know, the, the, the seals that are broken, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that's, that's the Lord allowing it to happen. He's the one that, that starts this thing. And it's the, you know, the false peace that comes at the beginning, you know, the rider on the white horse, but then it's followed by what, death and Hades, right? And then it goes on and on. And so, yeah, I, I, I believe we have to be out of here. We have to be our... For the uh, whole thing. For the whole thing, yeah. yeah. Titus 2.13, we're looking for the blessed hope of the coming of our Lord, you know, of the coming of our Lord from heaven, not from some of the judgments or half of them in Revelation, uh, you know, 6 through 18. Uh, that's not the blessed hope. Or even getting, you know, making it three-quarters of the way through or however long it is. Um, 
No, we're, he's, gonna, he's not appointed us to wrath, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, but to deliverance for salvation from Christ, and that's the great news of the gospel. Yes. Next question is a common one, Don, and uh, I think uh, people will be interested. Uh, could there be a gap of time between the rapture and the start of the tribulation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I believe there could be. If there is, I don't believe it's going to be very long for a variety of reasons. Uh, for one thing, um, once the church is out of here, God is going to be, again, dealing with the nation of Israel, number one. Number two, if people believe, and there'll be people that believe during that time, what in the world would you call them? They're not tribulation saints. I mean, I guess you don't have to give them a name of that, uh, that they, after the rapture, believers, whatever it might be. Um, it, it's an interesting question. Uh, I was just thinking about our, our friend Andy Woods. We were talking about that in Canada. He and I and another fellow up on the, uh, like we were doing a question and answer thing here. And it's not impossible that, that there's some time, and people have talked about that. Uh, I, you know, myself, I don't see a long period of time if there is. There may be some period, but I don't see it. And I don't know if there's a clear answer. That's the whole thing. I don't know if there's a clear answer to the question, like, boom, rapture of the church comes. The sec the, the, because the, the final seven years starts with a confirming or a signing of an agreement of Israel with this final Antichrist, the seven-year agreement, which probably is, we imagine, a peace agreement. Uh, is that the same time as the rapture of the church? I think it's fairly close. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I think, you know, I, as you said, and I've heard you say it so many times, where the scripture is silent, you know, if we yeah, don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's speculating and even calculated speculation, I think, is fine. <laughs> because, you know, one, we do know that the, the world is going to go into a time of chaos mm -hmm. after the rapture of the church. Now, you know, I think just so many things are going to feed into what the Antichrist is going to do. You're going to have abandoned properties, bank accounts with uh, sums of money in it that are unclaimed. We've already got identity theft and fraud that is rampant in the world. There's gonna to need to be a system to control all global commerce and all these other things. So I think all of these things are just kind of feeding into all of that. But yeah, I agree. You know, there's nothing I think that says no. And you know, it's, it's a very yep. strong possibility. And I think one of the reasons that is possible is because it kind of leaves a, a bit of mystery to the timing of when, you know, so people can't calculate, you know, well, okay, I know then that this is gonna be that. Now we can definitely, it's a hard number between the abomination of desolation and the return of Christ. We know that that's going to be a 42-month period from the time that the Antichrist declares himself to be God, sits in the most holy place. But the front side, you know, if we don't know when it starts, you don't know when that midpoint is. And uh, that leads to the last question we have time for tonight, Donna. And this is a biggie. And somebody wants to know, and uh, if there are those who were left behind who had heard the gospel, can they be saved during the tribulation? That is a great question, and good Christians disagree on that. I am rather emphatic that yes, they can be saved. This, this is not the unpardonable sin. As long as you're alive and breathing, you can believe in Christ. Ergo, the uh, criminal dying next to Jesus on the cross. He'd live a life of, he's a criminal. He's dying for his sin, but all he's, he's, remember, he's just said, Lord, remember me. I think it will be difficult if they've heard the gospel before because 2 Thessalonians 2 tells about verse 11 and 12, there's a strong delusion that's there that's mm -hmm. sent, although we know multitudes will believe. But again, the scripture says, now is the day of salvation, now is the time. And so, as Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, if you can't live for Christ now, how are you gonna die for him during this you know, future period? 
I don't want to, I wouldn't want to take the risk, let's put it this way, or take the chance. And I've, I've had so many people, I remember in the early days of being believers, um, growing up here in, T in the city of Tustin, this is a long time ago, after high school, uh, all our friends, there's all kinds of us that grew up together, Barry, we still, we start evangelizing the guys we grew up with. And we had a baseball game once, the Pagans versus the Christians. And I remember after a while, the Christians were getting slaughtered, so they put me on the Pagan team, you know, and I figured it'd make them worse probably at that time. And I'm sitting on the bench, it's really interesting, with guys, and I'm just minding my own business, guys I've known my whole life. And they come at me and say, well, Don, you know, if the tribulation happens, I won't take the mark. They'll come and tell me that. And I, you know, and I said, I'm just sitting there. In other words, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be a believer now, but I won't take the mark of the beast. Well, I wouldn't count on that because the strong delusion that's there. So um, I, I believe I know people are going to believe there's going to be a great revival. But I, but if people are listening out thinking I'll just wait, you don't know you're going to be living to the end of the night. None of us have that guarantee. I wouldn't take the risk. You might be one of the quarter of the earth's population that don't make it through the four horsemen. Correct. I mean, you never know. And Don, I I always look at this from the perspective of, you know, what you mentioned that that uh, they did not. There's a strong delusion. And they did not receive the love of the truth. And there are those who, and we have friends that believe that that means anybody that heard it, they're yeah, out. exactly. Uh, but I always look at it like this. That would have to be true before the tribulation. Yeah. We'd have to have one shot at it, and if we reject it, then we're out. But I think most people have uh, probably sat in church for a while, and the layers began to uh, be laid one on top of the other, and then finally everything clicked, and people, you know, there are people that get saved first time they hear the gospel. But I think by and large, most of us, had been witnessed to, and that's why we have the, the whole instruction about planting seeds and in other waters, and somebody else, you know, uh, reaps the harvest and God gives the increase. So, you know, I, I don't see that as being something that is consistent with God's pattern uh, prior to the tribulation period. And as you said, I, I think that what Revelation implies is that the biggest revival or biggest great awakening in human history is going to take place during the tribulation. Correct. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are going to mm -hmm. accept the Lord during that time. Indeed. So, Well, Don, we're kind of uh, out of time, but let me give you a couple of minutes. Tell us about educating our world and what can be found there. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. All right, we have a website called educatingourworld.com, and thanks for that. And one of the things we do, I mean, I brought them here as a... Um, of course, you're watching here now on television. I don't know if you can see if you get the camera close-up. Some of the books that I've done, I've done a four-book series on Bible prophecy. God wants us to know the future. He tells us that in his word. All right? He not only wants us to know, he, his work in history shows his predictions have come true. They've been fulfilled, 50 prophecies fulfilled. We have also 25 signs we're near the end that shows he's not only fulfilled in the past but fulfilled right now. Then look up a timeline of uh, coming events. Well, uh, Talk about timing. Had no idea this was going to happen. We put a website together. It was basically finished in the end, end of February, the first part of March. And what we have done, if you go to educatingourworld.com, these four books and 55 others, 59 books are there on the website. It has a total of on 11 different subjects, God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, Bible prophecy, the unseen world, the afterlife, the such, and, and su subjects like that. 59 separate books. If you print them all out this size, it'd come to 13,000 pages of material. We answer over 2,000 questions in the book, and you can go to the site right now. A little button says download, and you can download every one of them for absolutely nothing for free. 
No strings attached. We don't care who you are. We don't want your name. We don't want your address. We're not going to bother you. It's all for free. That is the ministry we have right now on educatingourworld.com. So we ask the people out there, you, if you haven't heard this before, we ask the people on our website to uh, do this, on our Facebook page, please shamelessly promote it. Let people use this material. I, I, I told you, I wrote a book on Ezekiel 38, 39. I haven't printed I've got printed 31 books. I've still got the rest haven't been in print yet. But that book's finished. It's there for people to take advantage of. I want people to take advantage of the material to get it out to the entire world. What we believe, why we believe, things about the last days. And it's yours there for the taking with no expense whatsoever. Ten reasons to trust the Bible is among them. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Case for Christianity, ten yeah, reasons good. to trust the Bible. Mm -hmm. All good, the books. Good. Well, thank you, Don. Always appreciate and enjoy sitting down with My you. My pleasure. And I want to encourage you out there to not only visit Don's site, but, you know, Don is an independent minister, and uh, he could use our support. So I encourage you to, uh, there's a button there at the top of the page. Yeah, if you want to support the ministry, thank yeah, you for that. If you want that. to support Don Stewart, uh, please consider doing so. As uh, God has given Don a rare gift, and it's always uh, encouraging for all of us to hear the insights that God has given him. So I encourage you to uh, be a support to his ministry. And uh, Don, uh, great sitting down with you. Just like old times. Like old times. You know, if we were, I remember early on uh, when we first started doing this, you and Pastor Chuck obviously did it for a number of years. And we were uh, crammed in a little, like, miniature studio with like a patio table and a couple of chairs. A glorified and, phone uh, booth, actually, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> glorified phone booth, that was yeah, it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but boy, we had some wonderful yeah. times talking about the book. So, we sure did. Uh, good to have you here. Thank so, you. Thanks, so, um, Don, would you close us in a word of prayer? Sure. Let's play. Lord, thank you. I just thank you for, um, for your word getting out. We thank you for the incredible outreach that's taking place right now through the technology we have today and only today. Barry and I realized that what we're saying right now will go to thousands and thousands of people, more than we could ever deal with face-to-face. Uh, -face. And every place we're hearing, which is preaching the gospel, is having the same outreach. We thank you for that. But, Lord, we also pray for our country and for our people right now during this very, very difficult time that you will let the good news of Jesus Christ be there for them, that they'll understand this life is not all that there is. When they're thinking about dying they're thinking about the next life what will happen next let them know about you and lord let us be the salt and light to do that to tell people the good news about jesus that there is a life after this life this life is not all there is the things they were trusting the things they thought were going to last forever maybe now are taken away from them but it's the eternal realm lord we know will not be taken away so lord we thank you we thank you so much that we have that message and help us have the boldness to proclaim it right now for such a time as this in jesus precious name we pray Remember, you can catch Don every single day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time on hischannel.com for breaking news. And then tomorrow evening, 6 p.m., uh, all of these things can be found in the on-demand section of his channel. But uh, I'll be doing World News Briefing with Pastor Mike McIntosh as we do every Thursday, catching up on world events, much like we did tonight. So I encourage you to take advantage of those things, stay informed, and uh, remember, Jesus is coming soon. Keep looking up.